Thank you very much. And before I go any further, can we just say what a great job the worship team did this morning? Man, absolutely fantastic. Great spirit, great song selection. And that's why we're here, right? Is to give glory and honor to God. It's not about you. It's not about me, man. It is about giving him his place and his due. And what a privilege and an honor that is. It's a privilege for me to be here. And I got to tell you, Pastor Doug, hardly anybody ever tries my last name. And not only did you get the flutist flautist thing right, you got my last name right. So that's really good. Most of the time, my last name gets butchered pretty bad. I've been called Snuffleupagus. I've been called... My, my favorite mispronunciation of all time, though, is one time when my son was being introduced to play baseball. Instead of introducing him as Sam Constantopoulos, they introduced him as Sam Constantly Lopez. <laughs> Not sure where that came from, but anyway, you roll with it. And I come to you this morning from Johnson City, Tennessee. Thank you for that applause. Um, stop. I'm just kidding. And uh, I'm going to share with you my story here in just a minute. But before I do, I want to play a couple of songs. And this first song I'm going to play, I wrote 30 years ago. And I know you're probably wondering why in the world I'm playing a 30-year-old song. Well, for a couple of reasons. One, this year we celebrate our 25th year of ministry. And two, the last couple of years, this song has really taken on a new meaning for me. Can we agree it's been a weird couple years? Frustrating, discouraging. You know, as I travel the country and talk to pastors and churches, man, they all seem to feel this just weight in their, in their spirit that I know I, I felt the last couple of years that I haven't felt ever in my lifetime. And it's just been different. It's been discouraging. So I play this song as a reminder that even in the midst of times like these, it's still a good time to give glory and honor to God. In fact, I would say it's probably the best time to give glory and honor to God. And I'll explain that here in just a second. But I wrote this song based on a passage in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. And this story, it's the story of how the prophet Nathan confronts David over his sin. And if you remember, Nathan does it in such a way, he doesn't really tell David who he's talking about. He just presents the situation to him. Well, when David hears it, he gets really mad. And he says, man, whoever that guy is, he's got to pay. Well, that's when Nathan lays it on him and says, dude, you're the guy I'm talking about. So David, being fully confronted with his sin, he confesses that before God. And the prophet says, look, that's great. But because you've shown such contempt for God, there's still going to be consequences to your sin. So the child that David had by Bathsheba became sick. And David did what I think any parent would do. He went before the Lord in fasting and prayer. He fasted and prayed all night long. That passage leads us to believe that he fasted and prayed for several days and nights. Well, despite all that effort, still the child passed away. Now, here's the amazing part of that story. The very first thing that David did when he found out is he cleaned himself up, he went into the temple, and he worshiped the Lord. Wow. I've got two kids. My son, Sam, is 25 years old. My daughter, Anna, is 23, and they're two of my favorite people on this planet. Man, they're funny. They love God. They're smart. They've got just the right amount of sass. You know, you want to keep them interesting. And I just love everything about them. And if something were to happen to them... Would my first reaction really be to give glory to God? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. <clears throat> but see, that's the example that David set for us. Remember, David who messed up in so many ways. David who failed in so many ways. This is one of those moments when he got it exactly right. You see, I think a lot of people think that God wants us to praise him because he's just some kind of egomaniac out there that wants all of our time and attention. I don't think that's it at all. I think God wants us to praise him in part because he understands what it will do for us. 
You see, when you look at the difficulties and the problems of this life, man, they can seem impossible to overcome, but there's something about looking into the face of the creator of the universe and giving him his place and his due that suddenly all those things get put back down into perspective where they belong. And we're reminded that God is so much bigger than any difficulty or trouble or trial that we might face. Doesn't mean you don't hurt. Okay, it doesn't mean you don't grieve. It doesn't mean sometimes you don't ache down to your very soul. But still in the midst of the tears, you can still say, God, you are good and you are faithful. So that's why I wrote this song. I wanted to show through the music what I saw going on inside of David, the concern for his child that was sick, the just unimaginable grief he must have felt when that child passed away, but then how somehow all of that was touched, made whole, maybe even healed in a way when he simply took the steps to clean himself up and to go into the temple and to worship the Lord. And I couldn't think of a better title than just to call this song, And Yet He Worshipped.
praise the Lord. You know, this next song says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. With all of creation, I sing praise to the King of Kings because you are my everything and I will adore you. Worship's not complicated, right? It's just saying to God, you are holy. If you know this, sing along with me. Let's give him glory this morning because he deserves it. Sing with me.
Amen. All glory goes to our Father in heaven. Amen. I still say there's no sound more beautiful than God's people singing holy, holy, holy. Go ahead and show that next slide if you would. Uh, my story, the, the verse I picked uh, to kind of base my story on is 2 Corinthians 4.8. And this you'll notice, of course, is a bit of a paraphrase. It says, we often suffer, but we're never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. Have you ever had a time in your life when you were ready just to throw up your hands and quit? <laughs> so we've been there, right? So you understand what it feels like. So hopefully one of the, one of the reasons we don't quit is that we understand through our faith that we serve a God who is so much bigger than any problem or difficult circumstance that we might face. We understand that he is bigger and greater that no matter how big and discouraging it might feel, we still understand that God is bigger. So because of our faith, we don't give up. So I've titled my story, Keep the Faith. Actually, go ahead and go to Derek Redmond, the next one, if you would, please. This is Derek Redmond, who's a British runner in the 1992 Olympics. This guy was so fast, so good, that everybody knew he was going to win a medal. It was just a question of which one. But as we know, life doesn't always turn out as planned, does it? You see, because in the next to the last race, as he was coming out of turn two, just like that, everything changed and he popped a hamstring. And he laid there on the track, tears just pouring down his face. Imagine just the pain and the disappointment. Well, of course, all the other runners finished the race and then the cameras focused back on Derek who was laying there. And he managed to get up and he started doing this little hobble step like this. And he did it all the way down to the back stretch. And when he got into the final turn, his dad came running out of the stands. And all the track officials said, man, you can't do that. His dad said, ha, watch me. And he pushed past the officials, put his arms around his son. And that's what they looked like when they crossed the finish line. And it was spectacular. Now, the crowd had been pretty much silent watching this whole thing take place. But when they crossed the finish line... Man, they erupted in cheers. <sighs> I was at home by myself in the living room, and I got so excited, I was jumping up and down on the couch, and I was going, because <sighs> it was just awesome. Now, remember, he didn't win anything. He didn't even qualify for the next race. His dream was over. It was dead. Think of the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours spent training for that moment for nothing. Think of the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that must have been spent training and traveling for that moment. And it was for nothing. But he was determined to finish the race that he'd started. And because he did so, he inspired millions upon millions of people, me being one of them. And that's why I say again, keep the faith. So what are we supposed to do when life gets hard? Well, we, we start in Hebrews chapter 12. It tells us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, who's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And people say to me, man, Jesus can't understand what I'm going through. And I say, oh, really? Because if you read in Matthew toward the latter part of the chapter, there's this amazing passage where Jesus is praying in the garden. And man, he is hurting. He even says, my soul is crushed with grief, even to the point of death. That's how sorrowful and how much Jesus is hurting. And the question, of course, becomes why. And I think it's because Jesus fully understood what was about to take place. I think Jesus understood what it was going to feel like, you know, to be betrayed. I think Jesus understood what it was going to feel like to have those closest to him who supposedly knew him best for them just to run away. I think Jesus fully understood what it was going to feel like to have nails driven through his hands and feet and endure the cross. And I think Jesus fully understood what it was going to feel like 
to carry the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders. And in his humanness, it wasn't something that he was like, all right, I get to go do this today. I mean, in that passage, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It's almost like he's saying, man, you're asking too much, and he's struggling, and he's hurting. But still, Jesus was faithful. Because his prayer continues by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In other words, it doesn't matter what I want. All that matters is what you want from me. Can you imagine having the power to change the outcome of a situation and to choose not to use it to be faithful to God's plan? Y'all, it's a good thing I'm not God. I'm just telling you because there's all kinds of people walking this earth. I could just flip right off. Boink, boink. Big guy, boink. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> pastor joke. Thanks, pastor. <laughs> but that's the example that Jesus set for us. And people say, okay, fine, I'll give you Jesus, Son of God, and all that. Who else can we learn from? Well, right before Hebrews chapter 12, shockingly, I know it's Hebrews chapter 11, and there's some amazing stories of people of faith. Like Noah. Noah taught us about patience. Noah spent 120 years building a boat with no rain in sight. What was life like for that guy? I mean, somebody had to come up to him at some point and go, dude, like 63 years you've been working on this? It hasn't rained. It's not going to rain. It couldn't have been God that told you to do it. You've been out in the sun way too long. Man, you got to let it go. But still Noah was faithful, and he was patient, and he understood that God does things in his time, not in ours. Have you ever had a time in your life when it felt like it was taking God forever to fulfill his promises? Man, I have. When those moments, maybe you could hear Noah whisper in your ear, look, whatever you do, don't give up. Keep the faith. It may feel like it's taken forever, but God will always do what he promised he would do. And then we can learn from somebody like Abraham, who taught us about trust. Abraham was given a promise from God that he was going to be the father of a great generation, as many as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the beach. And then he and Sarah, who were getting up there in age, they finally had Isaac. That was the beginning of the promise fulfilled. Yay. But then as God often does, he kind of throws a curveball and he says, hey, you know what? Abraham, I need you to sacrifice your son to me. Now, what must have gone through Abraham's mind? God, I just don't understand. I mean, you gave me this promise, father, a great generation and all that. Sarah and I, we're not getting any younger. We finally see the promise starting to be fulfilled. And now you want me just to throw that all away? It just doesn't make any sense. But still, Abraham was faithful. And remember, he gathered up all the stuff. He took his son. He, he's walking up the hill. He, even Isaac's going, Dad, we don't have anything for the offering. And he's like, don't worry, son. God will provide. <laughs> he already has it's you. But anyway, they go up the hill. He builds the altar, puts his son on the altar, goes to commit the sacrifice. And only then is his arm stopped. Has God ever called you to do something that just doesn't make sense? Well, in those times, maybe you could hear Abraham whisper in your ear, look, whatever you do, don't give up. Keep the faith. It may not make sense right now, but God knows what he's doing. And then finally, we can learn from somebody like Joseph. If there's anybody who understood a hard life, it was that guy. Remember, he had all these brothers. Most of them didn't like him. Uh, they wanted to kill him, but the one brother that did like him said, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit. So he threw him in the big hole. And then they see slave traders going by, and they thought, that'll make him suffer. So they sold him as a slave. He endured all kinds of difficulty and hardship, brokenness, abandonment, loss, rejection, false accusation. I could go on and on and on, but still, Joseph was faithful. And if you remember, God eventually turned the story around. 
Have you ever had a time in your life when it just felt like everything was falling apart? Well, in those moments, maybe we could hear Joseph whisper in our ear, look, whatever you do, don't give up. Keep the faith. See, anybody can serve God when everything's going great. But if you really want to see the test of someone's character, how do they serve God when everything's falling apart? And you might say to me, well, that's just a swell little story there, David Kay, but what do you know about life falling apart? Thanks for asking. In uh, February of 2016, my wife was diagnosed with a rare infection called ESBL-positive E. coli. No idea how she got it. She'd been in the hospital for five days. We had tried every antibiotic they would let us try, and nothing was working. We were literally preparing for her to die. Then they finally approved for us to try this super strong antibiotic that had really negative side effects, but we were kind of desperate, so they allowed us to try that. It did start killing the infection, thank God. Uh, she did 10 days of bags of IV antibiotics about that big that went through a pick line directly into her heart. It, like I said, it did kill the infection, but it also just destroyed her immune system. So when she got home from the hospital, she was so very sick, absolutely weak as water. We'd been home about 36 hours, <clears throat> excuse me, from the hospital, and I got a call that my dad, who's long longtime Church of God pastor for 40 years, that uh, he'd had a massive heart attack. And I was like, God, you got to be kidding me. I mean, my wife was so sick. I didn't know if dad was going to live or die. And I was really wrestling, trying to figure out what to do. And so finally made the decision to go see my dad, who was four hours away. He did survive. He lost about 30% of his heart, spent a few hours with him, and then came back home to take care of my wife. I'd been home about 36 hours, and I started feeling just the tiniest pressure in my chest. And I mentioned it to my wife. And she said, you've got to go to the hospital now. You've got history because of your dad. I was like, oh, I do not. It's all in my head. It's sympathy pain. Rub a little dirt on it. It'll be all right. She says, you got to go to the hospital. I was like, I'm not going. She's like, you got to go. I was like, I'm not doing it. She said, you have to go. I said, I'm not doing it. She said, I'll make you meatloaf. I said, I am not. All right. So <laughs> meatloaf got me to the hospital. <laughs> meatloaf, heart condition, draw your own conclusion. Anyway, so when I saw the doctor's face, I could tell he didn't have good news. Uh, it turns out that the LAD artery, which they call the Widowmaker for obvious reasons, was like 98% blocked. The other major artery in my heart was like 96, 97% blocked. And the doctor said, man, you should have been dead months ago. So they rushed me into surgery. They put a couple of stents in my heart to open up those arteries. And then they put you on a bunch of blood thinners so you don't get blood clots around those new stents. And you could say, man, that's a lot to deal with in 10 days. <laughs> your wife almost dies. Your dad almost dies. You almost die. And you'd be right. At that point, we had about all we could take. I wish that was the end of the story. See, just a couple of weeks later, three or four weeks later, my 16-year-old daughter at the time comes up to me and says, Dad, my chest hurts. All of a sudden, a young lady who was an athlete couldn't walk across this room without getting dizzy and falling over. Her heart rhythm was all over the place. She was having severe chest pain all the time. We were living in fear that at any minute, our daughter was going to have a heart attack and die right in front of us. It took over a year and a half of going to specialists, and she ended up having heart surgery. And you might say, that's a lot to deal with in a couple of months. Your wife almost dies, your dad almost dies, you almost die, and now you're living in fear that at any minute your daughter's going to have a heart attack and die. And you'd be right. See, she had to withdraw from school and all this kind of stuff, and it was, at that moment, felt like it was more than we could bear. Man, I wish that were the end of the story. You see, just a couple of weeks later, I was speaking in an event in Virginia, and due to complications from the blood thinner and other medications, I started hemorrhaging, bleeding in my brain. They rushed me to the hospital. I was in the hospital for over two weeks, I think eight days in ICU. 
the most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my life. I didn't eat or drink for like six days. I was so dehydrated that when they went to put in an IV, they had to use an ultrasound, and it still took them like seven hours. So all my veins were just collapsed. I remember a team of doctors standing there and talking to my wife and I and saying, here's the situation, we're going to be very, very blunt. If we don't take you off the blood thinner, you're going to continue to bleed in your brain and you're going to die. That's a certain fact. They said, or we can take you off the blood thinner, we'll pump your body full of platelets and we hope the bleeding in your brain stops. But you need to understand something. If we do that, because the stents in your heart are so new, there's about a 95% chance you're going to get all kinds of blood clots in your heart and you're going to die. They gave me a 5% chance to live, much less ever play the flute again. So when I tell you I understand what it feels like to have life turn to quicksand, man, I understand what that feels like. And there's so much more from that time I could tell you that I just don't have time to. But see... I'm going to be very transparent with you right now, and this is still very hard for me to share, but I feel like it's very important so you understand where I was. You see, when things happen like that one after another, it chips away at your fight. Okay, it chips away at your resolve. It can even chip away at your faith. And about day five or six in the ICU, and I remember life was in chaos. Everybody I loved had almost died. I was in more pain than I can describe. I hadn't eaten in days. I mean, I was just so very tired. And I remember crying out to God and going, God, I just cannot do this anymore. I'm tired. I am out. Please, oh, please, oh, please, just release me from this cursed life. And then I thought of my wife and kids. And I'm still very ashamed to say that at that moment, even they weren't enough for me. And my prayer became, but God, please make sure and send somebody to take care of my family. But just please make sure he's not too good looking. <laughs> Man, that was a dark time. And those moments, those are the keep the faith moments. I like to call them furnace moments. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Uh, king builds a, an idol. When the music plays, you've got to bow, bow down to the idol. And they're like, no way, man. We've got one God and one God alone that we worship. So because they won't bow down, they're going to be thrown into the furnace that's been heated up ten times hotter than usual. And before they get thrown in, they boldly proclaim, our God is able to deliver us. And as a church, we all go, yay. But we never talk about their next sentence. Do you remember what it was? But if God chooses not to deliver us, we're still not going to bow down to your idol. See, that's keeping the faith. Right? When you have no answers, you hang on for dear life. When you see no light at the end of the tunnel, man, you cling to your faith. When it feels like your prayers aren't going higher than your eyebrows, and you cling to your faith, even if it's by your fingernails, even if the whole time you're begging God, please do not make a fool out of me, man, you cling to your faith. Look, I'm not telling you all this to discourage you or, or have you feel sorry for me. I'm actually trying to encourage you. Because, look, I have been to the darkest of the darkest moments. And I can still say with conviction and with clarity that God is good. So whatever you're going through, man, whatever burden you're carrying, whatever scars you carry, whatever is in front of you or you're living in the midst of right now that seems impossible to overcome, and whatever you do, just don't give up. Keep the faith. Because God will always be faithful. You know, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, Psh, you don't know what you're talking about, David Kay. My life is awesome. God must love me best. I've got to be his favorite because I wouldn't change a thing in my life because my life is a mwah. Well, if that's you, I have two things to say to you. Number one, I hate you a little bit. No, that's, I don't mean that's a joke. 
<laughs> I don't mean that. <laughs> but in the midst of your perfect life, God loves you very, very much. But I'm old enough to know that most of us don't have perfect lives. We've experienced loss. We've experienced rejection. We've experienced abandonment. We've experienced brokenness. Brokenness physically, brokenness financially, brokenness relationally, brokenness emotionally. And maybe you're kind of where I was, going, God, I just don't understand. Man, we've tried to live faithfully for you for over 20 years. We've gone anywhere you've asked us to go. We've done anything you've asked us to do. Man, I just don't understand why my family is going through this. But man, it is just so not cool. Did you know that as you shake your fist at God, he still loves you so very, very much? There's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And my friends, that's a promise. Go ahead and show that next slide if you would. Um, this is a bowl that you can tell has been broken. And if you've ever broken something like this and you've tried to hurry up and fix it before your wife or mom gets home, you know that no matter how hard you try, there's always little pieces missing. So you can see these little cracks and little openings and stuff. Well, the Japanese take a bowl like that and they fill all those places with pure gold. And you might say, what kind of chucklehead would put pure gold in a broken dish? Well, they do that because they believe that when something gets broken and it gets put back together this way, it actually becomes more valuable because now it has a story to tell. Big fancy word we use for that in church, it's called a testimony. So you might look at your life right now and go, what a broken mess. Man, God can't do anything with this. But I'm here to tell you this morning that, man, if you, if you take all those pieces and you lay them at the feet of Jesus Christ, that somehow, some way, he takes those pieces and he puts them back together. And wherever we fall short and there's gaps and cracks and holes, his mercy and grace and power comes in like the pure gold and fills all those places. And I believe not only are we made whole again, we're actually made more valuable because now we've been purchased at a price, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Now we've got a story to tell. I wouldn't wish what my family went through that five years on my worst enemy. I'm not sure I'd take $10 million for it either. Because I've seen how God has strengthened our faith, brought us closer together as a family, and how God has used our pain to encourage other people to give up. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, man, lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ. He is good, and he is faithful. Now, this is going to sound a little oversimplistic, but hear me out. Keeping the faith really for me starts with a simple choice. I've told my kids since the day they could walk and breathe, <laughs> there's going to come a day when you've got to decide, do you or do you not want to be a man of God? Do you or do you not want to be a woman of God? And it starts with a choice. You've got to resolve it within yourself. I don't care what I give up, where I go, what I have to do, what I have to go without. I want to be a man of God or I want to be a woman of God. And it starts with a simple choice. And that's why I wanted to play this last song. It says, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than wealth or fame. I'd rather have Jesus than any kingdom, than any applause. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world has to offer. Is that the cry of your heart here this morning? I hope so. If not, the altars are open. If you're sitting here and you're going, man, I know things aren't right between me and Christ, between me and God, man, what a great day to come down and surrender everything. You'll never find a safer place. Most of us have done it. And it's a great place to go. I know something needs to change. Now, I suspect most of us did that a long time ago. And kind of that's the easy part. The hard part's the next part when you say, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life. 
And that's when you go, everything I have is yours, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's yours. And we start, and, you know, God kind of starts peeling back. The, you got to get rid of this. You got to get rid of this. You got to get rid of this. You got to mature. You got to grow up here. And, man, if you've never really surrendered everything to Christ, man, what a great day to do that as I play, to just come and heal and surrender everything. And I don't know what your, what your need might be this morning. It may have nothing to do with anything I've talked about, and that's okay. Man, if the, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now and leading, and you feel like, man, I just need to go and I need to be thankful or surrender something, whatever it might be, man, the altars are open, and this is your opportunity to respond. It's kind of a long song, so I'm not going to have you stand, but make no mistake, as I play the second I start, this is your opportunity to respond. Once you come, this is I'd Rather Have Jesus.
sing with praise the Lord. <clears throat> sing with me, won't you? I need thee, oh, I need thee. Savior, I come to Thee. I need Thee. I need Thee. Oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. going to continue to play a little quietly. Know that the altars are still open as those of the altars finish up. But please know that the altars are still open if you'd like to respond. This is a, a song. It's called He Looked Beyond My Fault and He Saw My Need. And man, I don't know about you, but every day I'm thankful that God didn't see me as I am, but he saw me for what I could be. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to meet every need and where I fall short.
Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for what your word teaches us about being people of faith. And Father, I just pray for every person in this room right now, Lord. Whatever burden they're carrying, whatever difficulty or challenge they're facing, God, I just pray that right now, man, that they would just, that their faith would be strengthened, Father. That you would just work in their situation, that you would work in their lives, that you would remind them that they are not alone, that, they, that you would remind them, Father, that you love them so very, very much. Even now, may they just feel your presence and may feel your arms wrap around them, Father, so that they may not be discouraged and give up. Lord, for those of us who have been through difficult times and have experienced things, Father, I pray that you'd help us to recognize that look in other people's eyes and not to be afraid to go, hey, are you okay? Father, man, if there's anything we've come to understand is that we're in this thing together, and Father, I just pray that you would work within each, every, each aspect of our lives, Father. Help us to trust you beyond what we see, what we know, what we understand. And Father, may we be people of faith that represent you well in every situation and in every circumstance. Father, we love you so very, very much. We thank you for all the ways you've provided and protected and directed, so many of which we may never even see or understand. But again, God, we give you the glory and honor because you and you alone deserve it. We pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we all agree together by saying amen.